Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. How's it going, Des? Good. You seem flustered. <laughs> we just watched Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about it more on Friday's episode. Okay. I'm just fucking exhausted. Okay. That for everyone who just saw that, what do they call it when it's the second to last episode? Penultimate. The pen, penultimate episode. Yeah. Uh, let's first start off the show by thanking our patrons. Okay, this week we had Grace, Chris, Taryn, Mary, Shannon, Ava, Helena, James, and that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. So the book I read for this case is called Tender Comrades, A Backstory of the Hollywood Blacklist. It's by Patrick McGilligan and Paul Buell. And it's basically a collection of interviews of several different men and women who were victims of the Hollywood Blacklist. But this story, we're going to focus on one man in particular who was a victim to the Hollywood blacklist. His name is Robert Lees. He was born July 10th, 1912 in San Francisco to a middle-class Jewish family. He went to college at UCLA for six months, but dropped out. Now, Lees' father had a connection at MGM, and in 1931, Lees began taking bit parts in movies as an extra and a chorus boy. When Lees auditioned as a dancer for the Fred Astaire, Joan Crawford film, Dancing Lady, he was concerned that he wasn't tall enough for the role. I guess he thought he was a short king. I mean... How tall was he? He was 5'9". That's not oh, like yeah, that that's, short. That's not that short. But he thought he needed to be like a lot taller right. for this role. So he was a little nervous going into this audition. So he stuffed his shoes with toilet paper. <laughs> that can't add too much, can I, it? Like I, I was wondering, was it the whole role? <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, platform shoes were hard to come by. Well, don't people, men have shoes with, like, lifts where the they're inside the shoe so that it doesn't look like you have a high heel? Well, he was in, on a budget, so that's what he made with the toilet, he did with toilet paper. <laughs> he did it okay. with, so he stuffed toilet paper in his shoes. Okay. And when the dance director asked him to do a time step, one of his shoes came flying off and sent toilet paper just flying everywhere. And then he went, ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> he made it seem like that was the I meant to do that. Yeah. I mean that's really all you can do in that situation. Right. You, I mean the weird thing is that some of the most famous Hollywood dancers like Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly are not tall either. I mean they're all like Gene Kelly might be five eight or five nine and Fred Astaire might be shorter. Maybe he had to be a certain height for just the way like for the visuals for the other dancers who were tall or right. something. Yeah. I don't know, but his height was a concern to him okay. at this audition. Look, he was insecure, Desi. Okay, <laughs> I'm just trying to help. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, so this embarrassing moment happened, which I think is iconic. And the dancing director thought it was iconic, and right. he laughed his ass off. Of course. And he's, <laughs> and he's like, well, you're not the best dancer. You're fine, but I like you so much. Like, you have such a good attitude about it, and you, that was funny. I'm going to hire you as, like, an assistant. See? Good attitude. <laughs> That's all right. you need. He didn't run out of the room crying. Right. He was like, what are Good. you going to do? I mean, and this guy was a comic, so I'm sure he saw the humor in this situation. Right. right. Robert Lees met his partner, Fred Ronaldo, a Jewish New Yorker who majored in English at Dartmouth. The pair went on to write comedy shorts together for MGM, and the two writers would help unionize the shorts department. 
Now, Robert Lee's got to write several shorts for one of his major comedic influences, actor and journalist Robert Benchley, or Bob Benchley, as he's sometimes known. Oh, yeah. I you know, know him. I you, know him by Bob Benchley, yeah. for sure. <laughs> okay. I just want yeah. to be, like, very professional about this. Just very formal. Yeah. Okay. But, but you know Bob Benchley. Sure. <laughs> the great Bob Benchley. Look, he was in a lot of old pictures. Mm-hmm. They were still called pictures back then. Okay. In 1939, Robert Lees married his girlfriend, Jean Abel. Now, one night at a party they were hosting, Robert was taking a piss, and Paul Jericho waltzed in through the bathroom door. I I guess they wasn't locked. Okay. Because I thought, when I first read the story, I'm like, well, was it okay? So it was like a public bathroom? No, this was a party at his house. Okay. So Paul Jericho comes through the door, starts taking a pee next to... Robert. Now I don't know exactly. In the same toilet. I. He said he started peeing in the bowl with me. Oh, so, so yeah. I guess they were sword fighting. Okay. I don't know exactly how that was happening, and Robert was kind of just like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and Paul turns to Robert and says, "Have you ever thought of joining the Communist Party?" <laughs> That's such a standard story. Right. And Robert says that he literally stopped mid pee. And was like, huh? Yeah, no, that's what he said. He was like, what? And started just laughing. Like, uh-huh. I mean, imagine you're taking a piss and someone comes in and they just like, they cannot wait a second longer to ask you if you thought of joining the Communist Party. Right. I mean, what a weird question to ask. I mean, I don't even, it's like, I can't even think of a sexual innuendo that that would be. <laughs> No, it's like, like he couldn't, Paul Jericho could not fucking wait to yeah. ask his friend. He's like, I can't hold out any longer. That's so weird. It's almost like that's why he went in there, right? <laughs> yes, I think so. So I got you cornered. <laughs> you can't say My no. urine stream, you can't run out through that. <laughs> Get your shoes wet. <laughs> okay. So and Paul and Robert was like, well, I got toilet paper in there. Yeah, it's going to exactly. absorb It'll it. sop it right up. I learned that from the Scarsdale Diet episode. <laughs> so, so, so Robert was like, uh, what the fuck? And Paul was like, oh, come on. Half the people in your living room are members of the Communist Party. I just like that he's still peeing. <laughs> while this yes. Is happening. Like, Robert's pee has totally gone away. Like, he doesn't have yeah. to pee anymore. And this guy, meanwhile, has that pee where you think it's going to stop, but then it keeps going. <laughs> right. Have and you ever it, had one of those when you're peeing on the toilet, you're, like, literally going to kill yourself? Because you're like, fucking get out of me already. <laughs> I imagine it, like, how guys have, like, a very strong, like, yes. heavy pee. That's, like, a formative sound of my childhood. Is, is like, a strange really man drunk pee. guys peeing in the toilet where it's really loud and long and it's like drunk pee yeah it's different it's and you, and you just yeah you can hear it it's like that guy is drunk <laughs> and then you go in there in the toilet and it's like buff frothy oh, it's always even if it's, it's been flushed frothy. it's still frothy it's frothy it's like cheap beer oh, piss. Okay. totally so robert was like hmm so that night him and his wife, he told his wife, and him and his wife had just two questions. One, should we join the Communist Party? And two, what the fuck is wrong with us that our friends took so long to ask us? Oh, my like, God. What, yeah. They were like, wait a minute, what do you think? We're, like, square? We don't want to go, but why didn't you invite us? <laughs> right, it's the classic. Yeah. We all know that feeling. Yeah. Now, Robert was already, like, lefty at this point, so it wasn't too far outside the realm right. of possibility. Now, there was, like, Red Scare stuff going on, so 
you know, he never thought of himself dabbling in the Communist Party, but when he found out, like, most of his friends and a lot of people in Hollywood were in the party, he was like, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. So he joined the Communist Party. Robert uh, talks a lot in this book about how his politics influenced his work. And, you know, some of the conversations that he had in the book kind of, like, some of his thoughts kind of reminded me of conversations Desi and I have had about, like, the comedic process of, like, what kind of stuff do you joke about? Why do you joke about it? And why is it funny? Right. You know, like, Desi and I talked about, uh, we talk about, like, punching down, like, uh, when comics punch down is, like, yes, technically you can punch down, but if you're punching down, like, you better fucking kill you it. You better fucking kill it. But generally, it's not as it's not funny to just punch down without taking yourself down. Usually, without taking too. yourself yeah. down too. Right. So Paul, I mean, so Robert in this book talked a lot about what makes something funny. Well, it's challenging the establishment. It's challenging, like it's funnier if uh, a cop, you know, has something bad happen to him than just some regular old Joe, like right. someone in a position of authority. That's funny, which is why it's so funny when news anchors fuck up because their job is so serious. It's like, it's challenging that status quo. Right. It's a challenge. So, um, I'm not very articulate on that. I'm some comic can at reply me and fucking scold me. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Robert and Ronaldo, uh, Fred Ronaldo, they found a lot of success together writing. And in 1939, they were nominated for an Academy Award for Best Short for their film, Profit Without Honor. By the early 40s, Lise and Ronaldo, they were making a lot of money together. They were, like, you know, very respected in their field. Uh-huh. So they moved on to write feature films. And in 1941, they wrote Hold the Ghost, which was a feature-length horror comedy for Abbott and Costello. And this would actually be just one of, like, seven or more Abbott and Costello movies that they would write together. They also did um, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which is, like, their most famous feature length. That's a very famous movie. Yeah, and I was watching some parts of it, like this weekend and it's so fucking stupid and silly and like yes. just like that cla- it's classic uh-huh. definitely so they also wrote a film which i like the title of called buck privates and, <laughs> and that was a that was a series there was another one called like buck privates come home and right. that was like there was definitely some of robert's politics imbued in that script because it was like then it was a comedy but it was also like the effects of war in the aftermath after these two Soldiers come home. Now, in late 1947, the Motion Picture Association of America declared that communists or communist sympathizers would be banned from working in the industry. Now, this came on the heels of 10 screenwriters and directors refusing to name names at the House of Un-American Activities Committee. These industry professionals were Alva Bessie, Herbert Bieberman, Lester Cole, Edward Dimitrich, Ring Lardner Jr., John Howard Lawson, Albert Maltz, Samuel Ornitz, Robert Adrian Scott, and Dalton Trumbo, of course. Yeah. One of the most famous yeah. of the Hollywood Ten. And they, that's what they would become known as, the Hollywood mm-hmm. Ten. Now, in December of that year, the head of the MPAA, a man named Eric Johnson, issued a statement announcing that all of these men would be fired and essentially 
you know, barred from working in the industry again, because right. we're not going to tolerate communists or communist sympathizers. In fact, uh, it has been alleged that someone we have brought up a few times on this show for being a dickhead, uh, none, none other than Ronald Reagan, was in cahoots with the FBI to rat out communists in the industry. Huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I read some newspaper articles about this, and it was always just alleged, but I'm going to just guess that he probably, that's probably true. Why would he not? Why would he not? Yeah. There was actually an, um, there was a, I don't know if it was Robert was telling the story, but somebody was telling a story about how there was a strike going on, and Ronald Reagan was like, oh, this is so inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> like there was I like looked in because I actually had to buy like a like a physical copy of this book because right. there isn't an ebook. Okay. So I went to the index and like under Ronald Reagan, there's like several different right. mentions of him. So he was definitely I don't really f I think it's weird that it would even be considered alleged. I thought that that he was kind of proud of that. I well, mean his whole he, career was almost like He definitely spoke out against like he was in pro blacklist. The right. thing that was alleged that he went directly to the FBI. I know, but why is that even a stretch? Like It's not. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. when I was looking for like Right, direct they were just saying alleged. So it's never been proven, I guess. Right. Huh. But people plenty That's of people were like like in this book plenty of people were like I know it's just alleged, but I know he fucking did yeah. that shit or yeah. this person said he did that shit like i believe them yeah i do too this was the beginning of the nearly two decades long hollywood blacklist in april of 1951 robert lees was subpoenaed to appear before the house un-american activities committee in dc now fred ronaldo was also subpoenaed but he decided to skip town before Robert Lees left for Washington, he said his goodbyes to Fred, who was hiding out at his brother's house up in the mountains. And this would be the end of their 17-year-long career together, wow. which is really sad. Yeah. I mean, they were probably like best friends. Right. They, it's like if we had to split up because there was some weird... And you were like narking out people and I was shit. very cool and innocent. <laughs> So like they had to end, they had to uproot their lives. He has to go live in the mountains now because he's like, I'm not testifying. I'm literally going to go hide out. Yeah. And they're done basically. Yeah. This like great career that they had built together, this stability is just over. So Robert Lees would be ordered to testify under oath to Congress whether or not he was a member of any subversive organizations, a.k.a. the Communist Party. And of any other members who were. I mean, that was the thing. It was like, not only are we trying to find out if you're a member, right. but do you know people who are? Right. And if you don't testify to either of those two things, you're fucking done. Yeah. Because we're going to assume you're guilty. Right. Well, I mean, it's obviously always been compared to the witch trials, but it is along the lines of like, if you drown, you're not a witch. If you float, you're a witch. Right. Like, you can't win with you, like the two options. No. Like, yeah. No. But for Robert Lees, being a snitch was the last fucking thing he was going to do. Oh, good. Yeah. After being relentlessly grilled about the involvement of his writing partner in the party, Robert Lees pled the fifth. He wasn't going to rat out anyone, let alone his best friend. Now, Lee said by the time that he returned home to L.A., news of his ap appearance before Congress was all over the trade papers. So, yeah, he had a fucking... Scarlet Letter all over him. Everyone knew this guy, Robert Lees, is a communist. Right. Wait, I was... I'm confused. Did him and his wife actually join? Yes. Eventually? Okay, Yes, sorry. they okay. joined, okay. and they were very active okay. in it. Okay, okay. 
So his Hollywood career, like many others at that time, was effectively over. Robert Lees had a swastika burned onto his front lawn after oh, testifying. Wow. Yes. Well, that's the thing a lot of people don't talk about. It. It's very anti-Semitic, this whole communist thing. Like, right. I mean... It's very... Because, you know, a lot of Jewish people were involved in the Communist Party. My grandfather was in the Communist Party. Right. I mean, there's a large contingency of, you know, American Jewish people who were very left-wing radical. Yes. I mean, absolutely. That's just, yeah. So when you hear phrases like cultural Marxism, that's absolutely, that's what that is. That's yeah. a dog whistle. Yeah, it's totally. Anti-Semitic dog right. whistle. Um, and obviously there's a lot of Jewish people working in Hollywood and successful yeah, ones. Right. So, so they were yeah. like, we need to go after Hollywood because we know there's a big Jewish population there. And because there's a big Jewish and population, it's a, and they're pop, they're like it would be a spectacle to have these famous people taken down. I exactly, mean, yeah. and they're influencing what we're consuming right, in right, art. Right, right. So it was like this huge. It really was like this big witch hunt. I just want to sidebar really quick talking about my grandpa. So like I remember like like my grandma every year like ends up revealing something about her family like that we didn't previously know. One year she was like. Oh, your grandpa was arrested for selling the Daily Worker, which is like a communist yeah. paper. The thing we found out last year doesn't have to do with the Communist Party, but I thought it was fucking iconic, is that um, when my grandpa and my mom or my grandma were dating, she was at nursing school and she was like living in dorms and stuff. And she couldn't, she had like a curfew. She couldn't go out to see him. So he shimmied up a drain pipe and crawled through her window so they could hang out. <laughs> oh, that's so retro. I know, like that's so romantic. That's yeah. so cute. Anyway, so that was the that was the story we got last Christmas. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Uh back to Robert. Now, not only was a swastika burned onto his front lawn, but his children were harassed and ridiculed at school by both other children and teachers. Jesus. Yeah. So his life was suddenly difficult in every direction. People are animals. Like they They're truly awful. are when like it comes to like them or us, like they will always pick themselves and they right. don't want to be like the ones ruined. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, with no career to speak of in Hollywood anymore. And with the harassment he was getting, Robert uh, and his family decide that they need to move. So they moved to Tucson where they bought a house. Now, Robert found work at this time as a maitre d' at a hotel restaurant. And he was obviously making considerably. What's his age at this age? point well he was born idea? in 1912 and this okay. is 1951 okay so he's he's young still he's yeah, in his 40s totally yeah. um so he's making considerably less money at of this course, time yeah. but he just needs to get, get away from out, where yeah. he's known and where people are harassing him and his family to robert's surprise the very hotel where he was employed was ho was host to a screening of a leftist film and leftist party one night like this, you know, just random, just this party, this gathering, these, this leftist organization had rented out a room at this hotel uh -huh. to screen this, to screen this film and to have a meeting basically. Okay. So Robert was like, Oh, that's so weird. It happens to be at my hotel in Tucson. Yeah, of course I'm going, Yeah, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I found my people here. So he went to check it out. And so did his wife, Jean. A week later, as Robert was getting cash from the floor safe behind the hotel front desk, he heard a man approach. It was Jack Temple, Shirley Temple's brother. <laughs> yes, I was like, what? Uh, he was not only Shirley Temple's brother, he was also the head of the local FBI. 
Jesus. Yeah, I know. So Robert's like, you know, on the floor. I mean, this is straight up comedy. And he right. sees Jack Temple and he's like, oh, shit. So he crouches even lower. So he knows who Jack Temple yes, is. Yes. Yeah, he knows okay. he's a fucking, okay. he's the feds. Yeah. So he's crouching down even lower. Like, try, like I cannot see this guy. Right. Like, he knows who Jesus. I am. Like, I don't want to get, I don't want any trouble. Yeah. He picks up a large vase of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> so like, um. Jack Temple was there looking for the hotel manager, Mr. Cohen. As Robert uh, was crouching down further, further and further behind the desk so as not to be detected, fortunately he wasn't detective, but the FBI was investigating the hotel because they had hosted this leftist party. Okay. And of course, these le radical leftists are mm -hmm. very subversive to our values as In Americans. Tucson. Yeah. <laughs> so they need to know what the meaning of this party was, who hosted it, and why the hotel allowed them to host this party now mr cohen the hotel manager was pretty shook uh and he told jack temple look we don't discriminate on who can rent the hotel out we just want their money yeah what we don't know what what they're doing what they're whatever, doing yeah. whatever uh we hosted a democratic party here once like yeah. you know i'm sorry he was like very apologetic um so jack temple basically did a okay well yeah. i better got not my eye on you yeah i got my eye on you now, Mr. Cohen was scared, and he scolded Robert for oh. attending this party. Okay. He was like, you were up there with your wife, and the bellboy told me, so I know you were up there. At this point, Robert Lee said that he felt like he was being blacklisted in Tucson now. Like, right. he just felt like, well... Why can I am go I... anywhere and yeah. work? Like, can yeah. I go anywhere and just work and have a fucking life yeah. with my family? In the following years, Robert and his family would sell the house in Tucson and move back to Los Angeles. He worked for a time in the garment business. Him and his wife opened up a clothing store in Sherman Oaks. But when uh, the, the business ended up failing because this big-ass shopping mall moved, like, next door. The and um, Galleria? Maybe it was the Galleria. Huh. It just said a big shopping mall. Where was his store? On Ventura Boulevard? I didn't see where his okay, store was. <laughs> If it was a restaurant, I would have hunted down the menu. You know that. Of course. But yeah. it was a clothing store, yeah, so, so I didn't investigate. Yeah. It was yeah. a haberdashery. It was a haberdashery. <laughs> so that business failed. The shopping mall came in. There was a big freeway put in. It was, right. it was over. Now, around this time, the Communist Party in America had significantly weakened, and the news of Stalin's atrocities against his own people left Robert feeling pretty, you know, disenchanted right. with a future for the party in America. He was also worried about providing for his family as he was now making considerably less money and that, you know, he missed being a screenwriter. Right. It's, it was his life. You yeah. know, he, the, that's what he wanted to do. Lees would find work again in Hollywood when he was able to write under a new name. Like he would write the stuff and basically just keep his face out of it, keep his name out of right. it. I mean, he, that's very common. Yes, yeah. that happened. And he f was able to find some loopholes to do it as long as he, like, I don't think he was in the writer's room or any, a writer's room or anything right. or like But he was maybe doing punch up on scripts or something in the back end. Yeah. Like his friends would pay him. It, yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly what happened. So he was at this time going by J.E. Selby. Okay. So he had totally changed his professional name. 
And in the mid-50s, he was hired to write for the television series The Adventures of Robin Hood, which was a British production and shot in England. And they didn't have a blacklist there, so he was able to write for them, which is really lucky. In the late 50s, Lees wrote under his pen name for Lassie, and in the early 60s, he wrote for Flipper. I thought it was really funny because the interviewer in this book was like, well, did you put any of your politics in Lassie and Flipper? Flipper? And Robert was like... Flipper was like, Medicare for all. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And Lassie was like, she's the means of production. (laughs) And Robert was like, laughed. And he's like, I mean, I guess I wrote an episode about sharing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, about sharing stuff and helping the community, (laughs) but not like explicitly. It was Lassie, you know? Lee's wife, Jean Abel, sadly died of colon cancer. And then Robert Lee's would end up going on to have a long-term relationship with a sexologist named Helen Colton. Hot. Yeah. I need to look more into her. I know. I'm interested. Yeah. She's like an old school sexologist lady. And she was like, you know, pretty radical. Of course. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If you're a female sexologist in the sixties, right? Well, no, this is the early eighties when they got together. Okay. But But she was always, yeah. yeah, she was always kind of, that was her thing. And Robert Lee's retired in 1983. Beauty should be good for you. And that's why we're excited to tell you about beauty counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. Okay, we're going to fast forward to 1999. Okay. In 1999, Elliot Kazan was presented with the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Oscars. Right. 
Now, Dazzy, you know who Elliot Kazan is. I do. He I do. is a legendary uh, director. He made Splendor in the Grass. He's made some of the biggest, most iconic a lot films. Of great films. Yeah, of yeah. like the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he. He started Warren Beatty's career with he Splendor. He did On the Waterfront. I mean, yes. he did The Streetcar Named Desire. He does a lot of, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he not only is a legendary director, but he's also famous for ratting out several of his colleagues to the FBI, or to the to Congress. To the committee, yeah. To the committee, uh, the House on American Activities. So he was not blacklisted because he cooperated with right. Congress. Uh, but he was essentially, you know, fuck you. All of his friends and colleagues, like, who were in the party, uh, basically... People felt betrayed because people lost their careers and lives to right. not testify, and he didn't do that. Right. And and Elia, at one point, was in the Communist Party, so they, yeah, they absolutely felt betrayed by this man, and they had every right to feel betrayed by him. Yes. I mean, they lost everything yeah. because of him, and he went on to have this one of the most successful careers... In right. Hollywood. So in 1999, they're giving him the Lifetime Achievement Award. And there was a big hubbub over I this. I remember this. You do? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, while plenty of Oscar attendees were more than fine with him receiving the honor, there were just as many who were like... <laughs> I remember. Fuck that I dude. I remember um, Ed... Ed oh, Asner. Ed, no, not Ed Asner. The other one. The bald Ed Begley Jr.? No, no, no. Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like refused he i can't refused. remember if he was stone-faced in the audience not clapping or something i remember he was one of the people i read about the people who were clapping and the people who didn't i was surprised steven spielberg sat down oh really he didn't get up and clap that's for him. surprising yeah um so there was a lot of famous people who were like yay elia kazan and there right. was just as many people in the audience that night who were like were sitting stone-faced as a yeah. protest yeah. for for mm-hmm. this now during the ceremony, both protesters and supporters of Kazan gathered at out uh, uh, gathered out on the street outside of the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, which is where the ceremony was being held. There was about 500 protesters gathered outside. Um, people had signs such as Elia Kazan nominated for the Benedict Arnold Award. Oh, brother. <laughs> and uh, uh, Kazan, this is my favorite, Kazan, the Linda Tripp of the 50s. <laughs> That's such a dated It's very insult. topical. Yeah. It's very 1999. <laughs> and Robert Lees himself was there with oh. a sign that said, don't whitewash the blacklist. Okay. And Robert Lees at this point was in his 80s. Wow, yeah. I mean, yeah. go Robert Lees. He's like, just because I'm 80 fucking six years old, fuck this yeah. guy. I'm still a radical leftist. Yeah, and he was. Yeah. This is a quote from Robert Lees that night. He said, Kazan crawled through the mud for a big money contract at 20th Century Fox. He should apologize. Now, Kazan never apologized right. ever uh, for his role in blacklisting his friends and colleagues. And as tensions between the demonstrators grew at the ceremony, police were called when a fight broke out and someone ended up being arrested. So we got pretty yeah. fucking heated. During the opening monologue, host Whoopi Goldberg quipped, I thought the blacklist was me and Hattie McDaniel. <laughs> and if you don't know who Hattie McDaniel is, at the time, only Whoopi and Hattie... Had won an Oscar, mm-hmm. like, for acting, right? Well, they were the only two black women who had ever won an Oscar. Yeah. So... Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit more. 
The last time Robert's girlfriend, Helen Colton, saw him was around 10 p.m. on Saturday, June 12, 2004. She went back to her home in Hollywood, which was just, a, just across the street from Robert's house, to finish up a painting she had been working on. They were in a long-term relationship together. She never wanted to get married, but they were practically married. They right. lived in separate houses, but they literally lived on the same block. Right. And Robert's neighborhood was actually in the same vicinity as the uh, area where Hugh Grant was arrested. Okay. So in the 16- To be honest, that's like my dream. To have my own house and be in oh. a relationship with someone in the next house or something. So the next morning, she called Robert but got no answer. Her and Robert had plans that day to attend an event at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists for Young F- Sciences for Young Filmmakers. Helen walked over to Robert's house at around 4 p.m. Her hair and makeup was done and she was ready to go to the event. Maybe Robert didn't hear the phone ringing because his hearing hadn't been great lately, she thought. Helen noticed that the paper she had left for him early that morning was still on the front porch. So this was concerning. Right. It's 4 p.m. Why hasn't he been outside? Yeah. I leave him the... She would leave him, like, sections of the Sunday paper that right. he liked. So he would have gotten them by this yeah, point. Yeah. It was pretty alarming. So... The front door was locked, so she went around back to a sliding glass door that led into the master bedroom. When she stepped inside, she found the room in total disarray. Drawers had been ripped out, their contents scattered across the floor amongst blood splatters. There she found Robert's body lying under blankets and drawers, with only his feet sticking out. And when she peeled the blankets back, Robert's head was missing. Uh. Yeah. Uh, A quote from... Helen Colton said, you know, she didn't believe it was real. It was, she really felt like she was walking into a horror film at this point. I mean, I can't imagine how surreal and horrifying that that would be. Right. So in the early morning hours of June 13th, 27-year-old Kevin Lee Graff entered the home of Robert Lees, where he attacked and then decapitated him with a cleaver. Graff attempted to clean himself up at Lee's house before leaving with the decapitated head in his hand. Carrying the head, Graff hopped a fence to Lee's neighbor's house, where he broke in. 69-year-old Dr. Morley Engelson was on the phone with the Southwest Airlines agent arranging a business trip to San Jose. Graff then attacked and murdered Engelson with knives believed to have been from his own kitchen. Graff left Robert Lee's severed head on Engelson's bed before fleeing the scene in his second victim's car. Another surreal discovery. <laughs> I mean, to find a head on your bed? Yeah. I mean, he killed, he murdered this guy. Right, but then he left it on the neighbor's bed, the yeah. head. He yeah. murdered the neighbor. And oh, he murdered the neighbor. Yes, Desi. Oh, my God, sorry. Yeah. I missed that. <laughs> he murdered the so neighbor. So the neighbor didn't find that. No, he murdered him. Holy shit. Yes. So this happened, obviously, this all happened before Helen found her boyfriend's right, body. Right, right, right. The airline agent heard the attack happen. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine how scary that would be? So she notified the police immediately, but they arrived after Graf was already gone. Five hours later, Helen Colton would find her boyfriend's headless body in his home. The following day, Kevin Lee Graf was arrested. 
Now, Graf had a history of minor criminal activity offenses so his fingerprints were on file uh-huh. and they provided and his fingerprints were all over the scene right they provided police with a mugshot so his image was able to be televised during like a police press conference okay so his image goes up on the tv and he ended up being identified by a security guard at paramount studios who had earlier in the day denied him entry to the studios oh wow so the same guy that i identified him to the police had literally just seen him. Yeah. He was seen acting erratically outside of Paramount. And shortly after he was denied entry, the security guard just happened to see him on TV and Graf was arrested. When he was arrested, he was holding a Bible and a can of mace. So, I mean, Paramount Studios is south of where the murders took place. Yes. I mean, yeah. So he also ditched the car two miles from the murder scene. Okay. So he's doing all kinds of, making all kinds of strange moves. Right. Like, he had gone to Paramount. He had ditched the car somewhere else. It was found, I I wasn't clear if the car was found just two miles away from the scene or two miles away from Paramount. Right. Um, Either way, it wasn't there with him. But he had gone to Paramount. Basically, he was like, I need to use the phone. And they're like who are you yeah we can't you know we can't let, let you win and, use the phone yeah. yeah and then the security guard saw him like yelling at cars right. and making it so he gestures. made himself seen yeah yeah like this was someone who was clearly uh off. working out some stuff yeah. or doing something off so graf told the police that he was high on meth and he didn't remember anything about the murders and in 2008, Kevin Lee Graff pleaded guilty to the murders of Robert Lees and Morley Angelson. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. This was a guy who, he was not from Los Angeles. He would come up to L.A. frequently. Uh, he lived in Orange County. Okay. He actually, at the time of the murders... I just thought this was an ironic detail. He happened to be breaking a strike like he was scabbing. Oh, I just, I mean, yeah. it has enough, like he didn't know who Robert Lee's was no, or anything. No. I just thought that was like a weird, ironic detail yeah, about the case. It is. During the trial, he was very apologetic. Uh, you know, he's like, I can't, anything I, I can't say, you know, I'm sorry, but I can't take it back and I wish I could and blah, da, 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 da. So he was basically just really fucking high there was some there was definitely some uh he didn't get to plead he didn't plead insanity uh-huh. um and actually when he initially went before uh the court in 2004 like he was remanded immediately yeah. but like he his initial plea was innocent uh but then he got he made a deal mm-hmm. they're like well you how are you innocent yeah like he (laughs) i don't even think he pleaded innocent uh because of insanity it was just not guilty it was yeah 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 he was like i'm not guilty um so he pleaded guilty after he made a deal with Mm -hmm. the da um and that was basically to avoid the death penalty uh, the death penalty which is what they were seeking okay now robert lee's son richard lee's did not want the death penalty he was he's anti-death penalty but he was happy that at least he wasn't on the street. Right. He was, justice was served in that respect. Um, I read some of the quotes from the like closing state or the, uh, what's it called? The witness testimony, not the witness, the The victim impact, the victim impact. I read some of those and they were just really fucking sad. Like, you know, um, from all accounts, like these were both two really great men. Obviously we know Robert Lee's was a good guy, but just to talk about, uh, the not famous person, Uh Morley Engelson, 
you know, he had a wife named Valerie, and uh, he went to Fairfax High School. They had been together for a really long right. time. He he had a practice in West Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Like, you know, he had. It's lots also just sad for two people like older to be murdered like that. Like it's at so the end of her life. Like, I mean, and as for Robert Lee's, like you know, there were plenty of quotes and uh, statements from the people in his life, both made, uh, you know, during the closing at the uh-huh. trial and also just to newspapers and stuff. And everyone said the same thing about Robert Lee's is that basically like he was the most trusting person. Like he believed in the good of, of humanity right. and that he left his doors unlocked. Mm-hmm. He basically, you know, he was always lending out stuff to his neighbors. If they, anything yeah. they needed, like you could go to Robert Lee's and he would right. help you. If you needed tools from his garage, like he'd give you whatever you needed he was just like this all around really good guy. And at 91 years old, he was still like, you know, living this rich life with his girlfriend, Helen, going to events together. Right. And like, and if you know that area, like, I bet you what it is, is that's right off of Sunset Boulevard, like an area where there's tons of foot traffic. And yeah. he probably just walked up where the houses are, right. just a few blocks away. Right. It's at the base of the And it was just hills. completely fucking random, yep. these houses that he picked. And it was probably because it was the first place he went that had a door unlocked. I exactly. I mean, that's the reality right. with a lot of these killers. They're not that into breaking in. They want to find the fucking open window or screen right. door or whatever. Right. Uh, Which so, is so tragic because, like, you know, maybe... Right. He it's was, very tragic. Yeah. It's like his him being whatever so no like, i mean that's no in no way blaming him no but it's just that's just how random it was like this right. guy found the first house he could get into easily like, yeah. yeah and this this incident rocked the neighborhood oh my god like one of the quotes was like this was like this felt like a terrorist attack in our neighborhood this was at the base of the hills so like you said there's foot traffic nearby you could just easily this is a random question and i don't know if you know the answer was the cleaver roberts or did the I, guy I bring think, it? I think it was Robert's Cleaver. Uh-huh. I think he... I don't even know. I mean, I didn't read... There wasn't ter- too much information on this guy's backstory. Right. There was, like, some... So there's no speculation on what he was even doing. It was just whatever. According to him, oh, I was really fucked up. Right. And... There was no robbery or... There was no robbery. Uh, the only robbery there was was the getaway car right. that... Uh, he got away and he stole the car belonging to the doctor uh-huh. and then, but then he ditched it. Right. So it wasn't like, I mean, and this was a guy who was down on his luck too. He was a transient. He had been living in his car. Okay. Um, and he was working at the supermarket that was on strike. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, but it, it just is, it's like one of those just senseless, senseless, tragic yeah. crimes that is so random and so chilling. I can't imagine like how it must've been to, be living in that neighborhood That's and so that scary. happens yeah. yeah and what's really crazy is like i don't know how this isn't like a way bigger story right to me i don't know it just seems so when did this happen what year 2004 yeah i had never heard of this before no i hadn't yeah and like when i asked you about it i mean i was like don't read anything about yeah. it because it's so wild you know and I mean, I'm glad I got to, like, investigate more into Robert's life. Right. Because he did have a really interesting yeah, life. absolutely. You know, um, and it is nice, you know, when we, we have the opportunity to talk about the victims mm-hmm. 
you know, and not just like the monsters of the yeah. story. So I did want to shine a light on this guy. He was a good dude. He did a lot. He had a really positive impact on his community. Um, he was a good husband, a good boyfriend, a good dad. Like his, you know, kids had nothing but nice things to say about mm-hmm. their relationship. I just like, it was really heartbreaking to yeah. me to read like the testimonials from the people in his yeah. life. They were like, this is a fucking tragedy. That's so hard. So, yeah, it's really horrible. Um, but, you know, uh, I think this book uh, is going to be really interesting to read the rest of it. I haven't exactly decided uh, in the next two weeks if I am going to dive deeper into the Hollywood blacklist. I'm going to uh, go through this book a little more and see if there's any other stories right. in particular that pop out at me. And, yeah, I mean, do you have anything else to add? No, that's really interesting. And I would, I think, I think a good thing would be if there are more stories like this that we don't really hear as much right. with Hollywood blacklist. Because we all hear kind of the same narratives about it, like the Elia Kazan and Dalton Trumbo. Exactly. And stuff like that. But there's probably hundreds of stories. Yeah. and Because it's all Hollywood people. Yeah. yeah. And I felt also, I felt like that was important to highlight that it's like not everyone who was blacklisted was known, but all these people equally had their lives Right. People ruined. who were working at every level of the industry exactly so So. um yeah i did enjoy reading about the blacklist it illuminated things like that i didn't already know um i'm looking forward to reading more about it in the coming weeks uh i will let you know asap if i'm gonna gonna do a part two on this (laughs) um and i always love a good ronald reagan dunking any chance we get (laughs) cool yeah very cool i'm hungry I know. You know what's funny? Because your hair looks like a donut. Oh. I keep looking at your hair. I'm like, I'm like that cartoon where the person starts looking like a hamburger and then the skinny guy looks like a hot dog and they're oh. starving and chasing each other. Yeah, yeah. The whole time I've been looking at your hair and it looks like a fucking donut sitting on top of your head. She just has like a ponytail that's kind of flopped over. Into yeah. Like, so it looks like a round donut or a bagel. Oh, a bagel I'm would hungry. be good. I'm starving. <laughs> Do you want to order food? I don't know. Well, we um, have to do okay. another show after so, this. So uh, give us five stars on iTunes. Yeah. that really helps us. So just right now where you're listening, just click on over and give us five stars. That would be so helpful. We love it. If you have extra money and want to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And we have like, what, like almost 100 episodes yeah. of bonus material. Yeah. So you can start listening to all of that stuff right away right. for just $5 a if month. If you're like jonesing week to week, you're like, yeah. it's not enough content. Yeah. Go so, to the, yeah. join our Patreon. We have so much, we have hours and hours and hours of stuff there. Right. So check that out. Yeah. And yeah, I think we'll, I'll try to do a lighter episode next week. I know. <laughs> I know. We've been was, a little murder heavy. Lately. I was like, I was like, oh, well, obviously since Desi did that fucking bummer of a story <laughs> last week i'm gonna do something like more light-hearted and then i did this story which is like not at all but the biggest fucking i mean it's light-hearted jerker. compared to sylvia Hikens, I it's guess. just a different yeah. it's just a different it's a energy different horror, it's yeah. a different horror and i you know but i he at least had a good life before he got he murdered. did have a he did have a very interesting life and you know it is immortalized in this book and on this podcast okay so well, thank, thank you, you robert lees and thank you desi <laughs> thank you everybody thank you everybody except for the game of thrones writers goodbye dude do we have just like a preview of what we're gonna say on i'm pretty upset about my my boy jamie you That's know all what, I have to say. You know what? 
I think the f- <laughs> I'm just gonna uh, blow up my friend Ben's spot right now because he texted me and he said I'm loving everything just burning to the ground both in the show and the plot. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? I guess that's a good attitude uh, to have. I mean, it's just a show, so who cares? Well, but, yeah. I'm, they better make lots of sequels and prequels. Right. And there's still one episode to pull it all together. <laughs> better be like four hours long. It better okay. be four hours long. Okay. All bye, right. Guys. Bye.